Book of Acts, chapter 9. We're going to be finishing uh, chapter 9 out with verses 32 through 43. So Acts chapter 9, verses 32 through 43. We'll read that here in just a few moments. Um, but before we do that, let's go to the Lord in prayer and ask His blessing upon this time. Heavenly Father, we do thank You so much for um, just the time of worship that we've had, Lord. Uh, thank You, Lord God, just for that, that blessed hope that we just sang about that that there's going to be a day that we, that we shot with all the angels of heaven and all of those who have gone before us. And we're just going to cry, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Uh, Lord, I just I look forward to that day, Lord, and, and I just praise you for that, that hope and that truth um, that your word gives us, not because of what we've done, but because of what Christ has done, Lord. Tonight, God, I just pray that, that you would speak. Holy Spirit, I, I pray that you would move in hearts and minds. We know that that, that uh, we can read your Bible, but true understanding comes from you, Holy Spirit, and, and the strength to live it out comes through you, through you living through our lives. And so we pray tonight that, uh, that you would move, that, that you would show us what it is we need to hear, uh, that, 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 Lord, you would just make yourself known in this place. We give this time to you and ask that you would just bless it. In Christ's precious name we pray, amen. Amen. Well, over the last couple of weeks, we have been looking at the um, just amazing conversion of the Apostle Paul, you know, a man who went from doing everything that he could to destroy the church to a man who shifted all of his focus and, and all of his passion to building up the church instead. Uh, he went from a man to, that, that, that did everything he could to destroy the name of Christ to the man that, as we saw last week, boldly proclaimed that same name of, of Jesus that he had been trying to stop, and all because he met Jesus on the road to Damascus. Uh, he was on his way there to, to arrest more Christians, and yet the Lord Jesus appeared to him and, and said, Saul, what are you doing? Why, why are you persecuting me? Why are you persecuting my people? And, and in that moment, Saul saw for the first time that, that, that Jesus wasn't at all the heretic that he thought he was, but, but he truly was the Son of God. And over the course of the next um, few days there in Damascus, um, he, he met that, that man, Ananias, that came to him and, and, and shared the gospel with him. And he got saved and, and, and found this new purpose for his life. And we saw last week that he just he jumped in with, with both hands and both feet. And, and, and right there in Damascus started sharing the gospel and telling people that Jesus was who these disciples had claimed that, that he was, the same he was who Jesus himself claimed that he was, the Son of God. And he, he was... He even went, I mean, he spent a number of years there in Damascus, at least three that we know of, and during that time he went off to the Sinai Desert to, to be alone, to learn from the Lord, and, and he came back just a man, just on fire, and debating these leading um, Jewish religious leaders in the synagogue so much so that they, they couldn't refute his arguments, and so because they couldn't refute his arguments, they, they, they plotted to kill the man, and so instead uh, of being killed, though, the Christians there let him down in a basket, and, and he escaped and went on to Jerusalem, where he really wasn't met with with that great of a welcome, and people kind of avoided him, and it was until that, that, that man Barnabas found him and brought him to the apostle Peter, and, and uh, what did he do when he got to Jerusalem? He kept on preaching the gospel, uh, you know, kept on telling people about Jesus, and well, the same thing happened to him in Jerusalem as happened to him up in Damascus. They, the, the, the leading religious leaders there wanted to get rid of him, and so since they couldn't beat him in an argument, they thought, well, we'll just kill him, right, and get rid of him and get him out of our hair. So again, they, the Christians there, they protected him and sent him off back home, ultimately back to his home of Tarsus where he stayed for probably somewhere around the next decade, I think about 8 to 12 years um, that he spent there before we kind of see him again um, later on here in the book of 
Acts, and we're going to be we're going to be looking at the rest of his story throughout re- really rest throughout really the most of the rest of the book of Acts. But but tonight, um, and really this week and next week, we're going to be making kind of a shift from focusing on Saul, who we know was Paul, back to the apostle. Peter. And over the next couple of weeks, we're going to see just this really, really important transition in the life of Peter that ends up having just huge implications of, of uniting the Je- Jewish church and the, and the Gentile church really as one body. And so we're going to be looking at that over kind of the next couple of weeks. So let's get into our verses for today, and then we will uh, we'll spend some time talking about it here. So starting in verse 36, reading to the end of chapter 9, it says this, Excuse me, starting in verse 32, excuse me. Um, Meanwhile, Peter traveled from place to place, and he came down to visit the believers in the town of Lydda. There he met a man named Aeneas, who had been paralyzed and bedridden for eight years. Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Get up and roll up your sleeping mat. And he was healed instantly. Then the whole population of Lydda and Sharon saw Aeneas walking around, and they turned to the Lord. There was a believer in Joppa named Tabitha, which in Greek is is Dorcas, and she was always doing kind things for others and helping the poor. About this time, she became ill and died. Her body was washed for burial and laid up in the upstairs room. But the believers had heard that Peter was nearby at Lydda, so they sent two men to beg him, please come as soon as possible. And so Peter returned with them, and as soon as he arrived, they took him to the upstairs room, and the room was filled with widows who were weeping and and showing him the coats and other clothes Dorcas made for them. But Peter asked them all to leave the room, and then he knelt and prayed. And turning to the body, he said, get up, Tabitha. And she opened her eyes, and when she saw Peter, she sat up. He gave her his hand and helped her up, and then he called in the widows and all the believers, and he presented her to them alive. And, and the news spread through the whole town, and, and many believed in the Lord. And Peter stayed a long time in Joppa, living with Simon, a tanner of the hides. So, you know, last week we saw um, the very last verse in verse 31 that after just this, a number of years of the, the church being persecuted, uh, they, they finally got this time of peace and prosperity. Um, these, these Christians had truly endured a lot for their decision to follow Christ, but since the conversion of Saul, since Saul became the man we know as the Apostle Paul and started spreading the message of Jesus, there was this time where the church um, didn't experience the same type of persecution, at least, as they did before. And because of that, the church began to grow, and people began to get saved, and then the church began to spread out. And during this time of peace, um, Peter ventured out of Jerusalem, trying to traveling from town to town and church to church, teaching and ministering to the Christians that were there. Why? Because Jesus had told him that was his job before he left. You remember back from John chapter 21, um, Jesus told Peter three times, feed my sheep, tend my lambs. Essentially, he was saying, Peter, take care of my church. Shepherd them. Be with them. And so he was doing it. I mean, he took his job seriously. He was doing exactly what he was supposed to be doing. And eventually, he landed in this town of Lydda, which was about 20, 28 miles kind of northwest of Jerusalem. So if you kind of picture Jerusalem here, we're talking like up here kind of in this vicinity. 
Now, if you remember from a few weeks back, a, a number of years before this, many of the Christians were there in Jerusalem, and, and when Saul, a few years before this, had begun the persecution, he, he drove them out, and, and the Christians were kind of scattered all throughout Judea and Samaria, and um, this was one of the towns, I mean, obviously, that many of them went to, whether it was their hometown, I'm sure it was for many of them, but whatever it was, they landed there, and the church continued and, and continued to prosper there. And, and as, as um, Peter came to Lydda, he, he came across this man named Aeneas, who had been paralyzed and, and bedridden for eight years, and yet, in like this amazing miracle, Peter just looks at him and, and says, in Jesus' name, you're healed. Get up. And like, instantly it says he's healed. I mean, imagine that. You know, we, we read about these miracles in Scripture, and when you've read them over and over and over again, you, you can tend to just kind of read over it and go, yeah, I've read that before. But like, can you imagine being Peter in that moment? To be able to be a part of changing somebody's life that drastically? To be able to experience the power of God flowing through you in such an incredible way? To just see the, the hope in this man's eyes? Or imagine being this guy. You know, as a man, I can tell you that I can sort of appreciate the situation that, that he was in. I mean, as a man, I mean, you want to be able to, to, to work and to be a productive member of society and, and, and provide for your family. And yet, for eight years, this man essentially stood as a beggar, sat as a beggar on his mat, not being able to do anything. And I'm sure just, it's just a humiliating existence, especially during that time. And, and yet, he meets Peter and for the first time in eight years, feels his feet and his toes and he stands up and walks. And I just can't imagine the excitement in this man's heart. Just, just knowing that the future that, that Peter had just given him. And if, man, if that miracle wasn't cool enough, how about the next one? You know, we, we, we read on there, we can see in verse 38 that uh, the church in Joppa, which was about 10 miles from, from Lydda, that they heard about the healing of this man Aeneas, and, and they heard that Peter was, was still there. And, and so we, we see in verses 36 and 37 um, that, that about this time, this, this woman named Tabitha, which was her Jewish name, and Dorcas was actually her Greek name. I think I would have gone by the Jewish name. Um, but uh, you know what I'm saying? I mean, that's, it was a name back then. But uh, anyways, th this woman was a beloved sister in Christ. Uh, a woman who truly had a heart for the Lord and a heart for people. And, and her ministry was simple. She made clothes. The, the inner garments and the outer garments that they would wear. And she would, and she would minister to the poor and to the needy and, and give these things uh, away. And, and I, you know, I was thinking about that. And I'm just like, you know. She didn't do anything crazy. She wasn't out, like, putting her life on the line and, and, and spreading this message all over the place, being chased by Roman soldiers. All she did was make clothes. She, she used the gift that God gave her and ministered to the people that God put in front of her. And I, I don't know about you, but I find that encouraging, that, that God made us who we are for a reason. Your, your talent, your abilities, your experiences in life, all of those things, God has made you unique. And he's a job for you right here, right where you're at, to use those exact gifts just to minister to people. And how amazing is it that, that we're going to be rewarded someday 
I think when we get to heaven someday and our lives put out before, I think sometimes when we think about that, our mind goes to the negative, like all the bad things that I've done. But I I really believe, this is speculation, but I really believe that that we're going to hear stories of of simple things that that people did to serve people in the name of Christ. And people are going to be rewarded for, for those simple, simple just blessings that they did for people. Should be just, it encourages me. But anyway, it happened that this woman got sick and died. And, you know, at this point, I mean, I, I would think that uh, many of them should have been like, well, must have been her time to go, and yet not with these people. These people still had hope in their hearts. They, they believed that, that God could bring this woman even back to life. I mean, why not? Jesus did. I mean, the, the, the young... Um, he, he brought a, a young servant back to life. I mean, heck, Lazarus was dead for four days and called him back to life. She'd only been dead for, you know, hours, maybe a day. And so with like this incredible faith, they, they send for Peter and beg him to come. And when he gets there, the people meet him and take him up the upstairs room. And, and these women are crying. because I mean, they, they lost their friend. They were dealing with some serious grief. And, and they were just they're showing him just these, these garments that, that this woman had made. That she was telling him how she was such a blessing to the people. And, and, and Peter, just with this incredible faith, says, step outside. And he closes the door behind him. And, he, and, he, and I can just picture him getting down on his knees and just beginning to pray to the Lord. And clearly the Lord spoke to him, and so he, he, he awakens and he just whispers in this woman's ear, Tabitha, get up. And just like that, eyes opened. She sees Peter, she, she sits up, and this woman is brought back to life. I mean, how amazing would it be to be a fly on the wall in that room? I mean, can, can you imagine, I mean, just thinking about seeing that and witnessing that would be something that is just truly amazing to, to think about. Now, as I was thinking about this particular miracle, I was thinking about all the excitement that would have been going on right there. And yet I wonder, I wonder how Tabitha reacted. I mean, th- think about her for a moment. She was, in my mind, maybe the least excited. And why would I say that? Because Clearly, she was a woman of God, and, and um, she had already been home, and yet the Lord called her back. You know, Jesus says that to be absent from her body is to be present with the Lord, essentially. I mean, Paul said that, but he told the thief on the cross, today you're going to be with me. Like, and so when this woman died, she went to be with the Lord, and and I was thinking, like, I wonder what, was that, what that was like. You know, the Bible talks about in heaven how, like, to God, a day is like a thousand years, a thousand years is like a day, that whole, that whole kind of thing. And, like, essentially that means that time is completely irrelevant in heaven. It doesn't even exist. It's outside of space, time, matter, all that kind of stuff. And, and I began to wonder, like, what was this like for Tabitha? Was it like, I see the... No. Or was she actually able to be there and to see the Lord and to have a conversation with the Lord and the Lord says, hey, your job's still not done. I'm sending you back. I mean, we don't know. I mean, obviously it's clearly speculation, but my mind just, just goes that way. And yet I just imagine as she comes back, man, the, 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 the crown she must have accumulated after that as she continued just to serve the Lord faithfully. And not only how it affected her life, but just imagine how it must have increased the faith of the Christians who were there. Like, 
I'm sure that uh, they probably had heard about the time when Jesus did this, but to see it with their own eyes, to experience a woman they knew was dead and yet brought back to life, had to just, had to just brought excitement to that church. The final thing we see in chapter 9 here is like this seemingly obscure verse about Peter staying with this tanner of hides. And this may seem like a funny way to end a chapter, but it's actually a very important transition as we're going to see next week in Acts chapter 10. Uh, a hide tanner, um, by its very nature, if you didn't know what that was, was somebody who essentially made leather, right? Which we know where leather comes from. It comes from dead animals, right? Well, to the Jew... To come in contact with a dead animal, you were ceremonially unclean. Couldn't go to the temple, couldn't, do, couldn't worship, couldn't do those things, right? And, and so for a tanner of hides, you were perpetually seen as unclean. Because you were, that was your job, literally, was to deal with these dead animals all of the time. And yet it really is interesting that's, that's exactly where Peter stays. A devout Jewish man knowing this exactly, and yet, as we're going to see... Next week, as um, God sends him to a very specific man, a Gentile Roman soldier, all this was God preparing Peter for a very, very important thing that would truly unite the church body as one. No longer Gentile, no longer Jew, but truly one body in Christ. Now we're going to get to that next week, but for kind of our remaining time together here tonight, I want to talk about just kind of a few takeaways from our main story. You know, as we think about our, our verses for today, there are a number of things that we can see from both Peter and the other people here that, in, in my mind, as I read it anyways, really teach us some important lessons about, about how God moves in the lives of people. And as I was thinking about this, one thing that really stuck out to me is that Things happen when people are busy doing God's work and simply paying attention to his agenda. I mean, you think about Lydda and this man here, which led to Joppa and the woman being brought back to life. All of this started because Peter was simply doing his job. I mean, there's no indication that Peter went to Lydda knowing that he was going to heal this man. But as he was going there, simply doing what he was supposed to do, God gave him this opportunity. And this opportunity of obedience led to another opportunity for God to use him. And the result was Peter did incredible work for the Lord. You know, I think that, that most Christians want to see the power of God move. Would you agree with that? I mean, I, I know you guys, and I would think I know you want to see the power of God. You want to see God changing hearts and lives. But can I tell you something? That's not going to happen by standing still. God moving in power of the hearts and lives of people doesn't happen by simply hoping, by, by simply waiting around for God to do something. No, it only happens when we are busy doing the work God has given us to do. If we want to see God's power move in us and among us and through us in our community, we need to be people who are focused and active both inside of the church doing the ministry here we're called to do and the, the mission outside of this church doing the mission that we're called to do because God doesn't move through idle people or idle churches. He moves through people and churches who are actively serving Him, actively ministering to people, actively trying to reach the lost. 
And if we want to see God's power move, we need to be about that business. I mean, you think about Peter. Peter was a man who, like, literally, he gave up his entire personal agenda, put aside distraction, and gave his life fully into the service of the Lord. And, like, look, I, I understand that none of us are the Apostle Peter. And not all of us are called into, like, full-time vocational ministry. But make no mistake, can I tell you something? We are all, at least should be, full-time ministers of God. Like, if we want to experience the move of God, we need to be busy doing the work of God in our lives. I mean, you take Peter's life, right? He was busy just serving God, which is what put him in position to do the things he did in the first place. Like, when he was going to Lydda, I'm sure he had a whole agenda of things that he wanted to do. I mean, it says he was going from town to town, church to church, and, and he landed here. I'm sure he, I'm sure he was planning on meeting with the church leaders to see the progress of the church there. I'm sure he had some teachings that he wanted to impart to share with the congregation. I'm, I'm sure he was thinking of the next town that he was going to land in. But what I love about Peter is he did not let his agenda get in the way of God's agenda. And instead, he, he saw the opportunity that God placed right in front of him, and he met this man's need. You know, the truth of it is, we all have busy lives. We all have a list of things to get done, and I don't know about you, but it never seems like there's enough hours in the day to do it. It just seems like the list gets longer and longer every single week. It can be so easy to rush through our days, to, to miss the opportunities that God places right in front of us. You know, in the midst of our busyness, you know, we, we, we rush through the grocery store and back because we have more tasks to get done. We, we rush the kids to sports practices and school events. We, we rush to get dinner cooked and chores done around the house so we can get to bed and do it all over again. Half the time, we, we rush to and fro from, from church because of a million things that we have to do. And I just wonder in all of the rushing, like how many... How many divine appointments do we miss? How many opportunities do we pass up because we're too busy? How many opportunities at church do we pass up just to be able to minister and encourage people because we've overplanned our day of worship? How many opportunities do we pass up at the store or at work or just out and about because we're too focused on everything else we have to do to see what God is doing right in front of us? And I just wonder what would happen if we just slowed down. We can't slow down. No, we can slow down. We may, not, we may have this same amount of tasks, but here's what we can do. We can open our eyes. Get through the list, but be watching at what God's doing. Pray before you go to the store. God, if there's somebody here you want me to minister to, open my eyes to it. Pray as you're on your way to work. And pray as you're coming to church. God, I want my life to be a blessing to somebody's today. You think it's okay sometimes to give God permission to disrupt our agenda so that he can accomplish his through us? I think so. And friends, if we truly, truly want to see God move through our lives, through our church, we, we have to be busy doing His work while we're busy doing ours. They can happen simultaneously if we just refocus our minds in that direction. Things happen when we're focused on the Lord, and things happen, secondly, when, when people 
the people of God exhibit true faith in the power of God. You know, Jesus once told his disciples that if you have faith as small as the mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea and it'll go. You know, Peter was a man who believed it. He, he was a man that lived it in his life. I mean, sure, he had his moments of weakness in his past, but, but the man we read about here in Acts chapter 9 was a man who had absolute confidence and faith in the power of God, so much so that he had the boldness to walk up to this man who was lame, who couldn't walk, who was paralyzed, and says, in Jesus' name, get up. Can I tell you something? That takes boldness. That takes confidence in the power of God. And it wasn't just his faith. I mean, think about the people of Joppa. I mean, for crying out loud, their friend was dead or a doornail, and they knew it. They had the mourners there singing. And yet they said, go find Peter and bring him up here. Imagine the faith that took to believe that just by this man, Peter, coming, he could speak and this woman could be raised to life to make her well. And like Peter just comes and I mean, he could, he, should, he could have been like, listen, I mean, she's dead. What do you want me to do about it? <laughs> but no. He gets down on his knees and he prays. And with incredible faith, he says, Tabitha, get up. And she wakes up. Can I tell you something? That took guts for Peter to do. Like, I, I know we look at him and go, oh, he's an apostle. He's way up here. He was a man like you and me. He was a fisherman, a common fisherman before he became the man that we know as the Apostle Paul. And yet with incredible faith, knowing this woman was dead, knowing, like, can you imagine the thoughts that went through his head? Like, if I was in position, his position, I'm thinking about what was going through, what would have been going through my head, quite honestly. Like, man, what if this fails? Ah, what, what if she doesn't wake up? How am I going to face these people? Are they going to walk away from the Lord if I screw this up? I mean, really, put yourself in his shoes. And yet, he trusted God and God moved in power. Friends, how much faith do we truly have in the power of God? Like, I mean, again, if you're like me, you pray for people all the time for God to, to heal, yet... At times I just wonder, even in my own life, do I, really, do I really believe that he can? Like how many times do we pray for God to heal someone and, and, and trying to sound biblical, we, we put that little phrase at the end, yeah, not my will, Lord, but yours be done. Now I'm really not trying to mock that. Trust me, I believe in the sovereignty of God, and yet do we put that caveat on the end of our prayer because we really don't believe that God's going to do it? And this kind of gives us an out. Like, do we really have faith that God can heal people, that he can do miracles? Or do we just throw religious words on the end of our prayers because in the back of our minds, we have doubt? You know, I'll be honest with you, one of the things that, that bugs me about me the most is that at times I don't know that my face is even as big as a mustard seed. You know how big a mustard seed is? You're at Tony, Welly's, Tony and Ashley's wedding and they gave us one. I mean, it's like microscopic. It's just a tiny little thing. 
And yet, there's times where I wonder if mine's not even that big. I mean, Jesus said in Matthew 21 and verse 21, he told his disciples, I tell you, if you have faith and do not doubt, you can do things like this and much more, even say to this mountain, be lifted up and throw yourself in the sea, and it'll happen. And yet, how often does doubt creep into our minds? How many, how many wonders of God have we missed simply because we lacked the faith in the true power of God? Again, don't get me wrong, I, I, I trust in the sovereignty of God. I know there are times that, that people's suffering, people's trials are God's will clearly that's biblical. God allows those things to perfect the faith of people, but I have also come to believe that to an extent, I really believe as Christians that we can limit the power of God simply because we, have, we lack the faith to see it through. And that bugs me about me. Like, why do we doubt? We read about all these things in Scripture, and yet why is there a part of us that goes, eh, I just don't think that's for today. I mean, maybe some of you heard some teaching the fact that, that miracles and signs have stopped with the apostles. And I, I just find that hard to believe because the, the greatest miracle of this passage we haven't talked about happens all the time, still to this day. Is it because we're like some doubting Thomas that until we see these things with our own eyes, we won't believe it? I mean, if you like read missionary journals, you talk about incredible miracles of God that are happening all over the world. People being healed, people being sick, healed instantly. I mean, it's crazy things. Is it because we bought into this first 21st century American thought of God's provision for healing today are the miracles of modern medicine? The miracle of modern medicine. He's given us the doctors. How many times have you heard that? I mean, it's partially true. But in that, do we lose sight of the fact that the greatest physicians in heaven? Why do we not believe? That he can do those things. You know, my Bible says in James 5, 13 through 15, it says, Are any of you suffering hardships? You should pray. Are any of you happy? Are any of you happy? You should sing praise. But listen to what he says here. Are any of you sick? You should call for the elders of the church to come and pray over you, anointing you with oil in the name of the Lord, and such a prayer offered in faith will heal the sick, and the Lord will make you well. And if you committed sins, you will be Forgiven. That's pretty straightforward. Yet I have to wonder, do we really believe it? Well, that was then. I mean, this is now. I just don't know. We're in the 21st century. We have all this technology, all this stuff. I just don't know that God needs to do those things anymore. Well, you know what my Bible says? And yours does too. It says that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And, and I will tell you, if we believe that, that, that God could do these things in Peter's day, you better believe he can still do it in our day. He's the same God. He, his, he hasn't, his power hasn't diminished. Now, some may ask, well, does God really move like that? Like, we hear stories, but does God really move like that? So I've, I've been reading this book. I mean, I haven't gotten through it because it's about that thick, I think. But it, it's about this, the, the biography of um, a man named Leonard Ravenhill. A man who lived um, in, in the early 1900s, um, and he died like in the 19, late 1980s. 
But, but he was a man who like, committed his entire life to the Lord. As a young man, he went to university over in England, and he became part of this group called the Trekkers. And like, what they would do is they would go from like, east coast to west coast, north coast to south coast, north coast to south coast, and um, had my directions backward, and, and they would just go, and they would witness they would go into town and start witnessing for Christ, and when, when, when the Lord would move and people would start getting saved, they would send up this tent they had packed with them in a wagon, and they would start doing nightly crusades. And people were getting saved by the thousands. And, and in this book, he talks of these incredible things that were happening. I mean, incredible miracles that God was doing. Sick people being healed. People on their deathbed being restored. People with addictions being set free. It really happened. There's multiple people that can attest to it, that, that write about it. I, on my phone, I got, a, I got a message from my pastor friend in Uganda this week. And he, with video, showed me a, a woman that was demon-possessed that was set free in their church. I mean, this woman was writhing all over the ground and everything else. I mean, and just they prayed for her and prayed for her, and she was set free. M my great-grandpa... My great-grandpa, his name is Harry, he lived up way up in northern Wisconsin, and, and, and I was having a conversation with my grandfather that, that lives down here about him and his life, and my great-grandfather in, in the area kind of became known as the man to go to if you needed to be healed. And like my grandpa told me just, of, just these incredible stories about like, sick people being made well, people on their deathbed cured. My mom, my mom, when she was a little girl, was sick. I think it was like pneumonia or something. And, and like she was on her deathbed. He prayed for her and healed. Just like that. And like, how are they able to do these things? Like my friend in Uganda, to, to deliver somebody from demon possession, this Leonard Ravenhill, what was so special about these people? nothing. It wasn't some power they claimed for themselves. Not one of them would claim that that's some power. They were servants of the living God. My great-grandfather was an incredibly, incredibly humble man. He didn't ask to become what God made him. God just did that through him. But you know what's, you know what's unique about each one of these men? My buddy in Uganda he gets up at 3 o'clock every single morning and spends like two hours in prayer every morning just to seek the face of God. Leonard Ravenhill, before these events, they, they would spend literally all night in prayer as a group seeking the Lord. And God would do incredible things. My great-grandpa, my grandfather was telling me he, he would go out for, for nights at a time, like all night long, go out walk out into the woods in northern Wisconsin with bears and, you know. He'd go out there in the woods to an old stump and spent all night praying, day after day after day after day, seeking the Lord. You know, from what I know of the Apostle Peter, I'm sure he was a man of prayer as well, and I think that the common denominator is these were people who were simply serving God. Their hearts were connected with the Lord, and God did amazing things through them. And I just got to thinking, like, what if we began to seek God like that? You know, as individuals, as a church, 
What could God do among us? Like if we truly believed in and sought his power, how many lives can be, could be affected? What would God do? Like what if we started gathering together in prayer just, just for the sole purpose of asking God to begin to move in power in us and through our church? Like what if groups in here gathered together throughout the week at people's houses you had to look at the Bible and study and encourage one another. But what if in those times, they took some time just to seek the power of God? Just to call out to his name and ask him to move in their lives. I, mean, I, I was thinking about volleyball in the summertime. What if instead of just, you know, chatting after it gets dark, what if we spend some time just calling out to the Lord and asking him to move in our church and through us, giving us the power to be the witnesses to our community that he's called us to be. What would change? Man, it gives me goosebumps to think about what God could do if we, if we sought his face like that. See, Peter was a man who truly believed in the power of God. He put no limits on what God could do, and because of that, he experienced the power of God working through him. I will tell you, I believe that God still moves in power. But to see it, we have to be busy doing his work and truly seeking him. You know, there are many today that no longer believe God moves this way, but one big, huge reason I personally believe that he does is because of this third and really the greatest miracle of this passage that we haven't talked about yet. Notice something in verse 35. 35 says this, after the healing of Aeneas, Then the whole population of Lydda and Sharon saw Aeneas walking around, and they turned to the Lord. What did that say? The whole population of two towns got saved. You move on to verse 42, and this woman was raised from the, life, from the dead back to life, and the news spread throughout the whole town, and many believed in the Lord. Friends, what's the greater miracle? A man that was paralyzed, being able to walk, or multitudes of people, two whole communities coming to faith in Christ? Which is the greater miracle? How about the woman who was raised from physical death, but the people around there were raised from spiritual death and given life, which was the greatest miracle? Clearly salvation. These people were controlled by Satan. I mean, they were his pawns, his people. That's what Scripture tells us. Those who don't know Christ, they belong to the devil. And yet, the Bible says that when a person comes to faith in Christ, they pass from spiritual death to spiritual life. Like the blinding scales of Satan are removed from their eyes, and they can truly see. Their unrighteous sins are removed. They're replaced with the very righteousness of God. They are born again, created new, anew in Christ Jesus. They're made absolutely pure, absolutely holy in God's sight, adopted into God's eternal family. God's righteous wrath is removed from them, replaced with compassion and mercy and grace, and instead of those people being on their way to spend an eternity in hell, separated from God forever, they are now people who have an eternal hope set for them in heaven. Which is the greater miracle? Friends, the guy that got to walk again, he still died. He may have had five years, ten years, twenty years, we have no idea, but he still died. The woman who was raised back to life, guess what? She got to die a second time. How's that for a gift? But the greatest miracle were these souls who were changed. Yet I wonder, 
Would we be more amazed that somebody was healed of a sickness than if somebody got saved? We shouldn't be. We should be overjoyed at salvations, friends. I don't believe the miracles of God have ceased because if God is still saving souls, he's doing still the greatest miracle of all. Like I, I personally believe that the reason God will continue to do incredible things is because the purpose behind them throughout Scripture, especially in this passage, seems to be to lead hard-hearted people, hard-to-reach people to salvation. Now, now think about these people for just a moment. Like these people who were saved and the events that helped open their eyes to the truth of the gospel of Christ. These people were Jews. In all, in all three of these towns, these people were mostly Jewish. People that were stuck in religion, believing that their religious activity was going to save them. Like, they had no doubt heard about Jesus, at least the ones that were old enough to. Um, there, there's many of them, I'm sure, saw maybe Jesus with their own eyes at one point. Certainly heard about the things that he did. There was obviously a church in these places. And it seems that these devout Christians in Joppa and Lydda and Sharon, it seems that they were the type of Christians that were out spreading the message, and yet they refused to believe. And so God went to extreme measures to open their eyes. In Lydda and Sharon, that there was a miracle of the paralyzed man. In Joppa, it was the raising of a dead woman to life. And although the paralyzed man and woman were no doubt grateful to experience God's power, like I believe that God did both of these miracles to lead to the greatest miracle, which was salvation. And in that is the reason that I personally do not believe that miracles have ceased. I will tell you that flat out as your pastor, I believe God still does and can do these things if we seek him. And then the reason I think that is because people still need to be saved. You know, there are countless people that still need Jesus. And I'll tell you that I really believe that we are living in a time in, a time in our own country where people's hearts are harder than ever before and blinder than ever before. And it may take some drastic measures to open their eyes. You know, certainly there are multitudes of unchurched lost people who have never stepped foot into a church that need Christ, but I am also certain by the state of our nation that claims to be over 70% Christian that there are multitudes of people in churches today practicing religion, trusting in their rituals and traditions to save them, yet like the Jews and Lydda and Sharon and Joppa, they are as lost as a goose heading north in December. In churches on their way to hell. And I personally believe that in the times we are living in, God is going to have to do some extreme things to open people's eyes. But from what I've seen in my Bible, can I tell you something? I believe that God will go as far as God needs to go to do it. Friends, things happen when the power of God is moving through the people of God. As I close, just a final few, few thoughts here. When God moved through Peter, eyes were opened and lives were changed. When God moved through Peter, people talked and, and the word of Christ spread. When God moved through Peter, it wasn't just Lydda that was affected. The towns around Lydda were reached as well. When God through, moved through Peter, people stuck in fruitless religion were set free and saved. 
What I believe is that when God moves in power through his people, the world's going to take notice. People are going to take notice. Can I tell you something? The world has enough Christians in churches that are doing nothing more than going through religious motion. They're everywhere. The world does not need more Christians in churches like that. But you know what the world does need? Christians in churches that are alive. Christians in churches of prayer that are truly seeking the presence and the power of God. Churches and Christians that are willing to step out in faith and allow God to work through them. Christians and churches that are not scared of the power of God, but instead welcome it. Christians and churches that care so much about the lost and dying that they are willing to do whatever it takes to reach them. Let's be that church. Let's be those Christians. What will happen if we do? I don't know. Will we see miracles through the ministry of this church? I don't know, maybe. But can I tell you something? I'm not near as concerned with physical miracles as I am seeing a baptismal up here full week after week after week because we are out there reaching people with the greatest miracle, which is salvation. Let's get busy and do it. Let's do the work that we've been called to do and reach these people that God's called us to and build his kingdom. Amen? Let's be that church. Let's be those Christians for the Lord. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much, Lord, for who you are. Oh, God, I just, I just ask for forgiveness, Lord, just for my lack of faith. Oh. Lord, I, I think of that verse that, that says, Lord, help my unbelief. And God, I don't know who's struggling with what, how this message resonated with anybody in here, Lord, I don't know. But Father, I, I'm going to pray that for anybody in here that is struggling with, with a lack of faith, that Lord, you would increase their faith, that you would help their unbelief. God, will you give us the confidence to just trust you? To, to believe that you're still the same God as you were yesterday? The same God that we read about that spoke the world into existence? The same God that, that fought for the Israelites? The same God that raised Christ from the dead? The same God that made an this man Aeneas walked and made this Tabitha alive? God, will you give us the faith to believe that you can still do that? God, give us the faith to believe that through us, through our church, the greatest miracle of all can happen. As we are out there sharing Christ, as we are out there telling our neighbors, our coworkers, our, our, our friends, Lord, about Jesus, that, that we can have a part in the greatest miracle of all, which is people being saved. Will you give us the boldness to go out and speak? The confidence to trust you at your word when your word says that you're going to give us the words when we need them, to trust you in that, Lord God, and just speak trusting that you're going to, you're going to tell us exactly what we need to tell these people. God, give us the grace to believe in your word, to believe in your power. God, I want to see you do mighty things through us. I want to see this church bursting at the seams 
from people that we have reached with the gospel of Christ. God, give us a passion for you, a boldness for you. Set our hearts on fire for you, God, and use our church to bring you glory. Heavenly Father, if anybody listening to this here tonight, Lord, has never made a decision to follow Christ, tonight I pray they would call out to the name of Jesus and be saved. That they would believe you at your word that you sent Jesus to go to a cross and die for their sins. He rose again, and because of what he did, God, your word says salvation is possible if they'll only call out to him, confessing that Jesus is Lord and Savior of their life, asking for forgiveness of their sins, and for you to come in and be their God. God, your word says that anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And tonight, if anybody listened to this, has they ever made that decision, let them in faith call out to you. Lord, we love you. We praise you. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.